everybody and uh, welcome to another episode of Green Through. Here today with us, I'm pleased to be joined by Nora Maguera. Nora happens to be the co-founder of an NGO operating out of Kenya called Drop Access. Simply put, Drop Access aims to provide rural and off-grid communities with access to cheap and uh, easy to use renewable energy solutions. That being said, Nora, I think it would be suitable to start with a little introduction regarding your background and then we'll just take it from there. Oh, so thanks so much, Eric. I'm glad to be here. And it's such a pleasure to be on your podcast. And um, so, yeah, let's talk about Drop Access today and what we do here in Kenya. We are an NGO and our focus is to develop sustainable rural communities through energy access. And the story as to how we got into uh, packaging ourselves as people who develop sustainable rural communities starts from the time I got into the energy space in 2015. And uh, I was working in the engineering and uh, I was working in energy efficiency. Okay. And um, I saw such a great opportunity to, to couple renewable energy technologies with energy efficiency because okay. I was doing energy audits and I saw the loopholes, in, especially in Kenya, when we audit a facility and they go back to their old ways, we don't include renewables. That was such a huge problem. And because there was a need to include renewables with energy efficiency in Kenya, I started to learn more, like what are the technologies for energy efficiency? What, what are the technologies for renewable energy that can they be integrated? What's new out there? What's new and out there in the market? And what should we expect? That is basically how I got into the solar energy space. And um, at first, when I go to the solar energy space, I did a few projects in Nairobi, obviously working in the city as an engineer. Then um, I got a chance to interact with uh, a school, a school called Starhair Girls School and Center that was educating underprivileged girls who came from the rural. And okay. while, we were, while, while we were doing the system at Starhair Girls, uh, and I was talking to the girls, most of them would tell me how much, it, like it's such a wonder for them to see how far the world has come to where they're accessing solar, and they hope that such kind of technology can be used back at home because okay. it, they come from rural communities, they don't have power, they, 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 they only see solar literally in books and on the TV, and they imagine that how, how, how such transformation can occur back in the villages. And mm -hmm. it got me wondering, like, exactly what situation really does understand beyond what we read in the books, like, hey, there's energy poverty, hey, like, it could transform lives, it could trans transform lives, uh, and uh, how about we, we push for, like, uh, you know, last mile initiatives and energy access. So I started doing work in rural communities in Kenya, and mostly delivering solar lamp I would rather solar lighting solutions for like a year or so, just to try and see um, how, uh, what kind of transformation or transformation or impact could be created by just lighting rural communities. Funny enough, the thing that came out clearly was um, rural communities, yeah, they were poor, they didn't have light, they were energy okay. poor, but even as much as they got these lights, whether they could afford it or not, they were still hungry or they're still poor under these lights. Okay. And uh, because Kenya got into a craze of let's get light to rural villages, I felt like there was something missing in that equation. I, I felt like, like how about um, if you're going to push for last mile energy access initiative, how about we look at it from a different perspective? How about we actually try to see how this could affect the rural economy? How about we look at strategies that could awaken the rural economy right. through these uh, rigorous attempts of getting power to people's households? And that is how we started working as Drop Access, like engaging with rural communities, interviewing them, like, how are these solar lamps helping you from this month to the next year? How are you paying for it? Did you pay for it or was it donated? 
most of the lights during then were actually being donated to household because the craze was let's get lights to people it's dignified which is true okay but then two years down the line the device uh dies it blows out uh it can be replaced it can be repaired the, the individual will come back and tell hey i need another donation for solar lamp so if you look at uh, the number of people who needed lights then those are like hundreds of millions in sub-saharan africa Okay. Uh, who needed lamps donated, even if it's just 10% of it, they all need a, a lamp donation. Then two years down the line, they still come back, they need a lamp donation. I think that's a broken system. Absolutely. I, I feel like we're lacking out on opportunities where we could, with this economy that is available to give light to people or other power to people, we could transform it to continue giving light to people or other power to people. Right, right. And in that way, we build sustainable systems, we build sustainable solutions. Right. Instead of looking at it like lamp for, for, for the night, so for studying or for just lighting, how about we look at it like an energy commodity that will help them generate income to enable them buy their own lamps at the end of three years or at the end of one year or at the end of a few months. To me, that, I found that uh, that made much more sense right. than just a single lighting solution. So okay. that's why we started Drop Access. And um, we, we had a lot of time re-evaluating how, re how last mile strategies are being delivered, obviously, and trying to test out a few models for delivering this initiative and also trying to see how rural communities can finance their own solutions because there is potential over there. And uh, that, that came out uh, strongly when I realized that uh, as much as the books and uh, the research work has painted rural African communities as poor, yeah, they don't have cash at hand, they are asset rich and there's so many opportunities that can be taken advantage of or that can be utilized so that they get these utilities uh, or rather they get power at their doorstep by, by not just as a donation, but by, by, by them actually financing for these utilities. Right. It doesn't really have a contemporary way of exchange cash for a lamp, right. but uh, they can be, there are poss possibilities of value exchange. After all, Africa, like Africa is quite rich in resources. I mean, that's, that's sort of what drove the sort of... Um... I wouldn't say colonialism, but in terms of, you know, like uh, exploitation of the natural resources that you guys have in your um, amazing uh, landscapes, right? Yeah, yeah, it's true. Actually, yeah, yeah, it's true. Like, uh, uh, it, so, the country is rich, the continent is rich, and uh, there are people who saw the potential and they said, hey, let's, um, let's exchange this for something. Is it going to be jobs? Is it going to be a bit of land or space? Is it going to be leadership? And they, it, they just started looting. The looting started and still continues. Mm. As much as, uh, uh, obviously, uh, we've tried, African communities have risen up to try to supplement their own needs. It still right. continues. Right. But, but the fact is resources do exist and that we can exploit in the best way possible and everybody wins. Absolutely. And yeah. I mean, it's many amazing things that you've said, right? So I was trying to sort of keep track. And I wanted to ask you, you know, um, First things first, you know, I wanted to compliment you on the ambition that you're trying to achieve through Drop Access. And uh, I want Thank to ask you, do you think that what sort of makes Drop Access different, right, from what sort of hasn't worked previously is that you're trying to educate um, the rural communities and not just sort of look for, you know, a quick dollar or um, look at them as a, as a new market, right? Because if you educate them and provide um, a lasting and sustainable solution, then that market can sort of become sort of self-serving and uh, sort of have a nature of its own, right? 
Yes, Eric, you've taken words right out of my mind and my brain. <laughs> because at Drop Access, we are big on, first of all, capacity building or rather community engagement to find out exactly what are their energy needs. Right. In the past, and even still being done, uh, larger corporations prefer, they spot a market, it's vibrant, they come and do a total takeover, give mm. them solutions without truly evaluating how much these solutions are actually impacting communities or are they being adopted and is there like a sustainability plan three years down right. the line once they get their money, which to me doesn't make sense. Like from an engineering perspective and also just uh, be, being a sustainability manager, I want to know that uh, the, the solar panels that we're using right now and we're aggressively installing everywhere are not going to degrade the environment that years to come. That worries me because I want to be here 30 years to come and I don't want to talk about the same stories. The environment is de degrading. So how about Absolutely. we actually work with these communities to ensure that they get to benefit the maximum with these utilities, uh, whether it's economically or rather at household level, but also the environment is protected. The economy is, uh, is right. It's balanced well and it's inclusive. And also when we look into the future, uh, these utilities are sustainable and do serve their purpose than just than just cashing in and get the, getting the top dollar out of it. I, I think we need, we don't look at it like it's business as usual, like exchange a commodity for money. No, we are really exchanging uh, commodities for impact. Long -term That's amazing. Impact. That's a great way of putting it. And um, amazing. And honestly, I'm just trying to uh, break down what you're trying to say and uh, what, sorry, what you're saying. And I wanted to ask you, do you have you found, because obviously, uh, when did you found uh, job, uh, job access? Job Access was founded in 2018. Okay. So founded you've... actually with my sister. <laughs> right. Congratulations. So it's a family approach. And, uh, but, you know, uh, I asked you that because, you know, so now you've got, you know, a bit of a track record, right? In terms of yeah. three years of uh, operation. Have you found yeah. that in your efforts that sort of the local and rural communities that you're sort of collaborating with are more prone and eager to listen to people like you, you know, that are, let's just say, from nearby trying to help as opposed to just somebody from abroad coming in and looking for, you know, like a quick fix, looking at like a new market. You understand what I'm trying to say? Because, you know, if you're trying to emphasize the education aspect, I think it's, um, it's easier when it comes from, uh, from a familiar um, voice, right? Yes, yeah, it's true. Um, okay, I, I wouldn't lie to you, Eric. At first, when we started and we we're like, we teach the masses, we enable them to access these communities, we talk to them and we talk to them and tell them how this is going to help them, or this is not going to help them out. Uh, we didn't really, we receive a lot of backlash actually, uh, because right. it's unconventional. Normally, people want to come in, pour in money, bring in the solar lighting and the solar pump kits and the solar cold storage solutions, money is exchanged, and they, and they say, oh, oh, we impacted X millions, and they move on. But, right. but then, um, when we really just dig deeper and try to talk to these communities and train them and educate them, uh, uh, it was a bit hard at first. Okay. They didn't really understand. And also it was a bit, um, they, they felt like it was out of our scope because okay. Kenyans don't do this or Africans don't do this. Normally it's done by larger organizations who are backed by, you know, even international Absolutely. organizations. Absolutely. Like they, they, they seem to have a credible voice. Uh, actually, yeah, for a very long time, like uh, they wait for power, uh, power Africa to come give the solution or even say like, hey, now this is how we are financing these solutions. We, we, and they really do forget the voice of small organizations that understand what's happening on the ground. But, but right now, because uh, there's been a track record of failures of the systems that have been deployed in rural communities, energy system, microgrids failing, mini grids failing, solar mm -hmm. pumping solution just failing. Solar, 
there is like a landfill of solar lamps in Kenya that was right. given like the past decade that are not working. And okay. that and that strategy was backed by international organizations, obviously. But then five years down the line, that strategy failed. So all of us had to sit down and go back to the drawing board and tell them, hey, listen, we can always work together. You listen to our voice, we listen to your voice. We engage you so that we get to design the best utility that is that that will work for you, that will that will actually build you other than uh, put a burden or a strain on you. Of course. And um, so that's very interesting what you said. So I wanted to ask you what sort of, I would say this is a double layer question. So what sort of solutions do you guys have available? Like, do you provide products available for rural communities or do you sort of go and provide counsel uh, and sort of um, advice to where, uh, um, you know, the previous uh, um, providers that sort of failed? You know what I'm trying to say? Yes. Um, we provide uh, products okay. that are practical and reliable and sustainable for rural Su communities. Such as? And in specifically, solar pumping solutions, okay. affordable solar pumping solutions, okay. solar cold storage solutions, and solar cooking solutions. Okay. What I've learned is they, it's, it's one thing to provide products. It's another thing to actually give it a holistic approach in your provision of services that you're giving. So right. you won't just bring like a solar pump and say, hey, uh, use it or give us the money or pay for it if this is a period of time. No, we actually has to, we have to couple it with a few things. First of all, there has to be a, a reasonable mode of financing for it. We, we discuss that with individuals or other communities. So, so in that way, we are meeting the, we are bridging the gap of financing because that's still a very big Absolutely. issue when it comes to renewables and energy solutions. And also we do a lot of capacity building because we've seen if they learn about it, they know about it, they know what mods or what technologies are out there and they know their options, they're going to be willing to pay for it or they're going to be willing to adopt it. So oh, the more okay. you them, okay. they adopt okay. it faster. Okay. And also... We, we, we also learned that uh, we don't have to be selfish. You know, like for, for us as Drop Access, we've, we've dealt with rural communities. We love working in the rural. Uh, we love integ integrating with smallholder farmers, with rural SMEs and people who do, whether it's basket weaving or tailoring, because then they have such authentic voices and you get to the exact need uh, of what they really they want. So with all this information that we get because of interaction, we, and uh, we have... Uh, our ears out there on what technologies are available for them. We we'll, we we'll bring these two together. So the okay. technology provider who has a practical solar solution, whether it's going to be a, a portable solar pump, uh, will get them exactly to where that solution is needed. To the, who, who farms away from their home and they need to be carrying this pump or they need to, to be wheeling it or cutting it to their farm. We, we, we now create vibrant markets for these uh, technologies in the rural because also other organizations don't really have a lot of, uh, uh, what can I say, market intelligence on of where uh, technologies can really go. So we, we link the two of them together and it's our way of creating vibrant markets so that we open up rural communities and we open up the markets and we just ensure that there is a range of technologies. And the reason why we do this is because in the past, when you find a company is giving solar lamps, they have like seven solar lamps. So right. make your pick. Whether it fits you or not, pick the one that fits the most. That's not right. No, it's no, not no, right. Like, absolutely. It's not. Now from an engineering perspective. So there is a solar kit. It's a solar lamp. It's for this home. It's a, maybe it's a single bedroom home. Most of them are single or two bedroom homes. But when you look at it, essentially, it's been oversized. For The same kit is going to be given to a larger home. It's undersized. Like to me, that bothers me as, as an engineer. Absolutely, because absolutely. For sustainability, it has to be exact fit. It, it has to fit the, 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 the usage for that home. And that is... 
that even uh, now puts um, the long-term uh, sustainability plans for such utilities. The, the, their use should be optimized so that they're not underutilized or Absolutely. rather they're not degraded faster than their given timeline. Since we are an NGO and um, initially when we started, obviously we're depending on grants and donations from family members. We saw that in the next 10 years, it's not going to be sustainable. So there's a time that we, we, we trained like over 2,500 dairy farmers wow. uh, in, okay. uh, in a local county in Kenya. And uh, we were training them uh, to know what solar pumping solution that they could get to pair them with the dairy farming for better productivity of the dairy value chain. But then we, we like came to learn that one of the biggest problems is actually cold storage. Then right. we tried getting cold storage from outside the country. That posed even more challenges. Could you believe it took us six months to get wow. a 40 liter fridge into the country, like a wow. solar powered fridge that was practical. And to, to us, that, did, that really didn't make sense. Like what if we want to serve like what, 3000 dairy farmers? That doesn't make sense. Are we going to take all that long to get all the farmers? Like that turnaround time was so long for us. So we decided like, how about we get to innovate solutions, homegrown solutions, simple solutions that actually can serve their needs. At the same time, we are doing this to reduce the cost of these utilities as much as possible. Because the end goal here is a dairy farmer needs to store their milk over the night. Because uh, when they milk in the evening and it stays overnight without proper storage, it goes bad. That is yeah. a loss. So we need to store that milk overnight. And they, they need a cold storage solution to ensure that milk stays till morning to increase the productivity or rather the household income level. And also they want to do this without really denting the economic uh, level. They, they don't want to take a loan that is not really permissive. Uh, and maybe one day we'll get to talk about uh, the financing options that are there that are really- Absolutely. Okay, that are not really favorable for like a low income, a low in, for low income communities like a typical dairy farmer. They can't just walk to the bank and say, hey, give me what? Five hundred dollars to get by the fix that doesn't happen. No. So, so, but you know, for for us as an organization, understanding the needs and the financial financing options that are there, we decided to innovate a solar powered fridge uh, that is fifty liters in capacity, can be mounted on a motorbike or a bicycle and okay. deployed to whatever place they want to take it. If, right. If they move right from milking the cow to the market, that's possible because they should give the market the best quality of milk, and they have a right to store their milk because they need to make money out of the venture. Absolutely. Okay, absolutely. Okay, lots of information and I think I'm following you. So what I, what <laughs> I, wanted, to, what, what I wanted to ask you is that, so it's amazing. To me, it sounds like you're listening first to the sort of audience that you have, that you're dealing with, understanding yes. their needs and sort of tailoring your solutions according to what they say. Am I correct? Yes. Okay. That being said, I want to ask you from... Um, a logistics standpoint, do you source, you know, the solar panels, you know, you said the, the, the 50 liter um, storage fridge, do you source these from abroad or, you know, do you have a, a local provider or because you just, you just briefly mentioned that it takes you six months to, it took you six months to source um, that specific fridge. So I wanted to ask you, you know, like, how do you sort of define success at drop access in terms of um, impact for these uh, rural communities that you deal with? Well, I can say um, to, to me, to us at Drop Access, our biggest uh, success has been ability to actually make this fridge locally here in Kenya. Okay. Eric, yes. Amazing. Congrats. Congrats. <laughs> Thank first you. Thing, first things first. Congrats. It's steel. It's really pretty. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is. Like, I, I will send you pictures of it. It, lo it looks really nice. Okay, uh, the market to has given for it. It has achieved product market fit. 
And also it's just an indication of how uh, African homegrown solutions are possible okay. to exist in this market. And we, we, and we can be competitive in the market. And also when we get to do this, we, we designed this fridge with the help of these farmers. They told wow. us what they okay. wanted. Okay. what they wanted they told us the body they told us the capacity they told us what they want to do it in the evening how they want to monitor temperature and that designed this fridge and to, to us that has been such a huge success for us as an organization because um first of all obviously it means that we are sustainable now of course in the next five of course uh, we ourselves and still create impact do business and create impact and continue thriving in the energy space at the same time we're meeting exactly the needs of the clients within the shortest period time possible. When we got this fridge, uh, the first one that we imported, uh, when we got it to the country, it took six months to get to get to it. After we spoke to the client to say that he wanted a fridge, when we took the fridge to him, he, it was we had to start the conversations again. Like, hey, do you wanna buy it? Uh, like, uh, it will serve you this purpose. Okay. The, that turnaround is not really a deal. To like uh, to get um, they, they 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 just just the right kind of equipment. To the person who really needs it. If they needed it six months, six months, that's too long. They, they get disillusioned. And in between here, yeah, they lost money because they lost milk. Right. And once that has really been so great, the fact that we came up with a, a fridge that is being made locally made. And even beyond that, uh, this fridge means means to uh means to us that um okay, even before I go there, let me tell you what happens in Kenya. Like if somebody needs a solar fridge, whether maybe it's a it's a it's a healthcare use or, or okay. home use. They have to import it into the country. Right. Yeah, that's, that's happening. It's already a solid business because it's happening. Once they import it to the country uh, and they receive the commodity, obviously there's a bit of training on how to use it, which is never really uh, accurate. Okay. The right which, like uh, the client never really gets to get the right information how to take care of the utility, especially caring for the battery. So what happens is six, 12 months down the line, 24 months down the line, this fridge tends to degrade. Either right. the battery has lost its life cycle uh, and, and what happens is because of how the technology was made without the knowledge of the people even who are using it here, they abandon the project. The fridge stops working and it's abandoned and it's put up in a storeroom. Right. So it's a waste. On. It is a waste. So for us to make fridges locally here in Kenya, we want to set up a system where even, not, even beyond Kenya, where two years down the line when the battery has lost, the, has, uh, all the life cycle has ended, we're able to do a battery replacement. You don't have to replace the whole fridge. Of course. Do a battery replacement. Then at the same time when we're doing this, by the time this battery dies, we'll give such thorough training and uh, after-sales support to the client to ensure this battery actually serves them the m most amount of time or rather the best way possible it could be. Because um, then we are reducing the waste in the environment and we are making most of the amount of money that this smallholder farmer gave. Okay. I mean, you've actually blown my mind that you that you only provide um, sort of tailored products upon request, right? That's a very sort yeah. of sustainable and smart business model. And uh, you know, when I when I was looking sort of navigating your uh, amazing um, website, what sort of got me to thinking was like in your quest to sort of provide basic energy access to rural communities in Kenya, right? Um, how significant has um, gender inequality been as an obstacle in terms of education? Because, you know, uh, I don't know, do women tend to be treated as equally as men in these communities? Because oh my God. You, you, must be, you, you must be dealing also with that sort of adversity on top of all the other uh, logistical issues, right? 
oh Eric, women have never been treated equally as men in this space. And this is where it comes from. For a very long time, African communities, there has been such a huge uh, imbalance in the gender power structure. Okay. And because of that, women have been denied access to technology, access to um, education, rather knowledge, and also as, uh, they've been denied access to assets. Okay. As simple as land or as simple as can, can this house be in my name? They have been denied that. And if, if you deny a woman access to assets, and assets is a, a, form, is a commodity that can of be course. exchanged for goods and services in the rural, then you've just locked out of them. You've just excluded them from the, from the economy. They, they are financially excluded. Right. And, the, and poverty still ravages on that the cycle continues. And because of this imbalance, women have never really been treated right. Of course. And which is such a shame because at the end of the day, women are the biggest interactors with energy utilities. They're those who know, literally, Eric, how long the child stays up to do their homework in the evening. It is the, of it is the one. Of course. They're those who knows how long the cooking time stack. So they're those who know what kind of GCO, like energy saving uh, cook stove, will be fitting, will be fit them. And also the small amount of money or rather amount of. Uh, commodity that, that is available it's for it's it has their disposal the ones who remain at home to take to milk of course yes, take the milk to the market or to ensure that this milk doesn't go back overnight and and the same women who have all this information who do all this work because of their place in, in the society have been denied the access to technologies makes no sense right if, any, if anything they should sense. be they, they should be the ones that sort of um, yes. that the, the the product is made for because you know they're 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 the ones who are using the most and with the most knowledge right from uh, yes, from yes. A, from a logical standpoint yes so it should be designed with them in mind it should be designed for them they should be part of the design process they should be aware and if they're part of the design process and they're part of that the implementers of uh, at the end of the the, pro the productive use of these utilities then they should have access to them. They should have the knowledge and how these utilities work. Absolutely. We've, we've interacted with communities, like even when we're training the dairy farmers, most of them are actually women. Okay. When we interacted with them, they and we were trying to tell them, hey, you guys can actually get like a solar corporate, like a solar pumping or a solar cold story that is available for you. They will tell us, uh, let me go talk to my husband or the head of right. uh, the home. You know, if he says no, then it's a no, which is sad. Absolutely. Because then what's the point? Like, what's the point of us trying to push these technologies to the exact end user when um, they, they can't even get access to them? They, they don't have a, a say of, of how uh, or when to purchase this commodity. But, but slowly with the time, as we talk to communities and we try to engage women, uh, we've come to realize that um, this is a, what can I say? We, we can't say that we're only going to try to have women access these utilities. We have to engage men if you are of thinking of inclusive uh, communities. Clearly, the men are the ones with the keys. Okay. They're the ones who will unlock the potential. So if we engage them and tell them, hey, you know, um, your wife could access this solar pump. It could help her do this and that. Do you consent to it? If they consent to it, then it's a win for us. Absolutely. A win access. And I wanted to ask you, I think, you know, I mean, what you're trying to do is absolutely amazing. And because, you know, I think it's sort of similar to what you were saying previously, right? That you only sort of, source the, um, the the material that you need in terms of products based on the needs of the um, of the of the community that you're dealing with right so i think if you apply that sort of reasoning to 
the let's just say inequality in the household but then you know you approach i don't know the male farmer let's just say nora right for um for scenario purposes and you tell them look you know let's just say you work x amount of hours today but you know this fridge that we're going to provide you with your wife you know you'll be able to um you know have x amount of meals and your kids will be able to have cold milk the next day do you think that that's sort of you know providing as you said um information under a different light and under a different lens would then educate them of course it will be a sort of steep process but um, do you think that if information is provided sort of you know the woman like like your wife is here and you know she's not going to disappear you know by you providing access then you know it's um you're you're only just sort of maximizing your potential let's just say as a household right in terms of prosperity Yes, absolutely. Very, very true. Um, we, we can't just say that, uh, hey, um, I'm going to give your wife a pump. She's no. going to make X amount of money. She's going to be yeah. rich. The best of approaching it. You have to make it relatable. Tell them, hey, uh, I'm going to give your wife a pump. She's going to spend less hours pumping at the, at the farm. Then uh, you'll have a happier home or more time to spend as a family or even more time for her to do other works of self-development or even uh, are like... Um, for example, for clean cooking solutions, we tell them when you guys get like a clean cook stoves in your home, then your daughter don't have to go fetch firewood, you know? Right, or right, right. don't have to spend so much time. It's, it all based, it's all based on convenience, right? So you, yes, you, yeah. you, you, I provide you with this and you won't have to do that, right? Yes, yes. I understand. And um, this is crazy. And I wanted to ask you, you know, a last point before I open up to the questions from the public. I think you touched upon this. Maybe we can have another session in the future when we talk about, you know, uh, access to financing and stuff. And I think that's a whole nother different discussion <laughs> that deserves its own sort of standalone episode. But um, let's just say in terms of just briefly summarizing, since, as you said, it almost seems as if, you know, we have to go back in time because you're dealing with a customer base that, obviously it doesn't have access to monetary value in terms of currency, but you know, you still need to provide a service. So uh, what sort of flexibility do you have at drop access in terms of um, for exchange purposes? Do you have a barter system? Are you, are you, do you tailor it according to the community that you're dealing with? It's, I found this quite intriguing. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks so much, Eric. Now I'd mentioned earlier on that um, rural communities are not necessarily poor. Okay, fine. They don't have the, the cash, you know, right. Really to pay for the community, but they, they have assets. Of course. And these assets um, could be, they have actually resources. They have assets, they have land, they have cattle, they have time that can, can be exchanged for a service. Absolutely. So when we came to realize that if we're true, if we truly want to have like a just green energy transition in Africa, we have to touch the most underprivileged in the community. Of course. The low income communities, the rural uh, people who do not have access. We have to think of alternative ways for financing for this, for them to access this. Alternative ways and unconventional ways of financing. Like, for example, the first time we brought a cold storage solution for a, a farmer, uh, she told us that, um, we, we, she asked us like, oh, how much is your fridge? Uh, we told her it was around, it was 50,000 Kenya shillings, that's $500. Okay. And, and in my head, I was thinking, oh my God, like seriously, look, <laughs> look at the house, <laughs> look at the dog, okay. there's like a thin puppy. Okay. Like, how is this woman supposed to uh, benefit from this? Like, she really needs it. She's losing so much milk. She, she, needs, she needs this to educate her children and for, to sustain her home. And she told us that, ah, no, it's okay, don't worry, I'll just sell uh, two goats. To make a deposit for it and i was blown away wow 
I was totally blown away. I was like, okay, fine. Um, she doesn't have cash right now, obviously, but she has assets that she has goods, Eric, that she can sell or the, even I, she can give it to us to get a market and we get her the fridge. So perfect. And, and so wait, wait, let's just stay on this transaction because for the listeners. So basically what, what she said, like she'll give you the two goats, you'll go to the local market, get the value for the two goats and that would sort of yes. be the corresponding value for your fridge, right? Exactly. Actually, wow. it wasn't even the corresponding value. It wow. was the deposit. It was 50% payment for the fridge. Wow. Okay. And that is crazy. That is, <laughs> that is absolutely amazing. And I think this is, you know, it, it'll, this is where we're heading in terms of the future, right? If you want to be dealing with new markets and, you know, new customers within such markets, you need to be willing to be flexible, right? In terms of yeah. um, what you accept, accept in terms of value, because, you know, you might be dealing with somebody who doesn't even know what money is, right? If you give them yeah. maybe yeah. money, they might use it for heat, right? Not necessarily to buy something. Yes, it's very true. It's very true. And just talking about this, the first time I ever did a value exchange project was with a school, a local school. Right. Um, we tried to get. We we were setting for up. We were setting up a farm for them so that the 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 kids can actually get food, vegetables during during the lunchtime meals. Okay. And the, one of the biggest problems that we had was. Um, Obviously, the school didn't have money because some parents hadn't even cleared, cleared paying the school fees. And Kenya okay. has a free education system, which essentially isn't free because okay. you need to pay some fees uh, for your child to stay at school. So we told these parents that um, since we're setting up a farm, the farm is really, really huge. Um, how about if you guys, instead of us, instead of the school paying for a farmer or a tractor to come to the land, how about you come to the land and your fee is cleared up and accepted? Like you see, wow. the magic okay. in that. I understand. Like, I understand. I understand. Absolutely. The value you need to look and, at things. You need to look at yeah. things sort of under a different light, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. Amazing. And, Thank you very much. And um, <laughs> this is truly so eye-opening. In terms of um, question from the public, Nora, the um, the first question goes: What are the key logistical challenges associated with outreach to uh, rural areas, and how have these overcome? Have uh, been overcome, sir? So now, um, just to be really just honest, uh, mm-hmm. the situation in, in like, uh, like the rural communities that you deal with, remoteness is such a huge issue. Like okay. you want to help this, uh, this home or this community that does has potential, but you can't even access the home itself. Right. Physically, it's hard to access it. It's hard to even deliver your, sol- your portable solar pump there. It's hard even to get, to get them to, to use your commodity. Right. So, so it is a problem. Um, and also, um, I, I also like to look at uh, digital uh, access being, um, what can I say, like b- b- being part of logistics, because uh, okay. if they don't have uh, internet, right. uh, then, and that place is, uh, it's internet or even, let's say, even just simple GSM network and all that. And then you want to do remote troubleshooting for the fridge because it's quite difficult accessing there. It becomes a bit harder. To of try to serve this farmer or rather this community, yet they will really benefit from some. Actually, it, it has become a right, like energy access has become now a right. Of so if, if they're pouring milk because they don't have a fridge and they need a fridge, then they should get a fridge. But then it becomes so difficult uh, reaching such kind of people because of remoteness and also lack of digital access right. uh, in some areas. And um, uh, how to go around it is to work with partners who have a bit more um can i say capability of reaching there and in this case you have to what we do is we we get um shop shop owners okay 
the nearest shop to that community, existing enterprises that have found ways of moving commodities around so that okay. we don't set up such a robust uh, logistical uh, strategy. We, we now partner with already existing enterprises that we could work with to, to give these services. Right. And the cases where we, there, is, um, there is no internet access and maybe there's a bit of DSM, we, we, we try to see how we can do remote troubleshooting uh, from wherever we are so that we are not always trying to access that village for to fix on fridge or to check where, why it's not working. Right, I understand. It's, it's partnership, Eric. We just oh, absolutely. Have to... And yeah. um, I want to ask you the second question, which I think uh, I'm quite intrigued to hear your answer for, is um, what is the most efficient way for uh, rural communities to generate a stable profit out of renewable energy? And um, do you think, let's just say, I don't know, you tell me a time frame that further down the line, the blockchain technology can sort of play sort of um, a factor in terms of verifying transactions in your opinion or no? Eric, rural communities, if, if we are going to be really um, honest, candid here, yeah, Absolutely. honest on providing access for uh, energy access, I think we have to consider productive use of energy. Okay. in all aspects and fears. And that comes uh, to now, instead of just go beyond lighting to pumping, to cold storage technologies, to, to putting up uh, microgrids or mini grids to run like light industries, of course. Uh, to, to run like uh, cottage industries, uh, people who are doing value addition for commodities. That is the best way. And to me, that is, the, there is potential over there that is immense because okay. they, they are, such kind of uh, committees are untapped. They have not been exploited to the most, uh, to the best way possible. So we can't kill two birds with one stone. We can create a vibrant community by employing productive use of energy and okay. also just ensuring there's energy for such communities. And when it comes to blockchain, blockchain should be the way to go, I think so. Because okay. um, for a very long time, provi pro providing energy to such committees, there's been issue about bankabilities. Absolutely. If I'm, going to put up a, if I'm going to put up a mini grid uh, mm -hmm. going to, if there's only one portion mill of one industry, how is, how is, how is it uh, sustainable or how is it going to pay for it? Like is the payment period going to be 25 years? Does that make sense? I think it's high time we really do adopt um, a blockchain for such okay. kind of uses. Yes, uh, blockchain technology for such kind of uses so that um, we, we can do, uh, we, can, we can be able to, first of all, optimize the use of such utilities so that they make financial sense. And second, to, to be able to serve as many people as possible. Right. How? Absolutely. During the day, there is the microgrid, right? It's running. During the day, the, 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 the bigger needs are industrial needs or maybe, uh, maybe for ventures. That energy should be used for ventures. And only a blockchain technology is able to segregate and place the users as per in real time as per they're happening and to be able to, to separate and say, hey, three kilowatts from the grid is actually going to go into industry and maybe two kilowatt is for home use, for light home use. Then during the evening when the industries have closed, then the system uh, or rather blockchain technology should be able to enable us to maximally utilize energy from this. Of course. And, and also there is the aspect of community owned um, microgrids. Um, or microgrids or mini grids because okay. what has happened in in the past is that somebody comes puts up a, a, a mini grid and uh, in maybe in a market and uh, the, the, it's not able to be utilized over time right because also um when you find like the most of the users are actually homes uh, the homes are sparsely populated uh they they can't, they can't even consume everything that the grid is consuming and even the timings don't make sense. They want to consume directly from the storage because they use the energy at night. I think 
we should consider doing more community on microgas where you go find uh, already existing community and you just design a system that fits their needs and not just the homes and, yes yeah okay and i understand their needs and they, they get to utilize and optimize the system right and that, now that brings a lot of uh, engineering when it comes to delivering renewable energy technologies so yes for blockchain yes and uh, i think what you briefly mentioned in the in the in, in the previous answer was very super interesting and it sort of feeds into the last question which um sort of looks at the, the decision making for um, rural communities right and it was like well, would be great to hear about the um, trade-offs these communities face when deciding between the different uh, energy options and um, and the, the listener is sort of intrigued to hear what are the common dilemmas that um, the farmers are faced with you know why I don't know you know uh, obviously you don't present them with wind solutions because you only have solar but um, you know do you educate them on sort of what alternatives are available this type of solar as opposed to this other one and uh, what, what are their thoughts about this? All right, so um, in the past, Eric, uh, whatever solutions are being brought to maybe farmers or rural communities, right. they bring a range. It's already okay. been manufactured, it's fixed range, the list is fixed, it has seven, you get to choose from the seven. Okay. And uh, the, the choice was actually guided on the price, not okay. really the use, the usability of these systems. Okay, that's not but, good. It's not at all, and it's not fair. Like I would, I like choice. No, it's just like going to what the bakery and choosing. I land. I want that bread. I want of garlic course. bread, or I want parmesan bread. You know, like there should be a choice. And what we do at Drop Access is because we know there's so many technologies out there that should be availed to these people. So we educate them and tell them you don't have to buy this uh, fixed commodity. You can actually request for something that just meets your need. Like you need to irrigate maybe one acre or three acres. You don't have right. to get stuck with, with something because it was offering a favorable financial payment. No, you deserve much more. If you're going to put money in it, you get to have, then it has to serve you. Like it, it, has, to be, it has to be worth it. I couldn't so, agree more. I couldn't agree right more. Right now. Absolutely. Right now, now the trade-offs are just starting to pick up. Initially, they had no choice. It's like pick, pick probably the cheapest or pick okay. what you can afford to pay. Like whether it serves you, whether it's going to die within a few months, you have no choice. You picked it, you signed up for this commodity and you got an equipment. You should be happy. No, they should get much, much more. Of and course. They, they, should, they shouldn't be locked away by even financing. No, there should be options for them. Um, if, there should be options for them. Like if they can afford uh, $250 or they, can, they have $500, they should be able to get the exact commodity that fits the need and not cheapskated appliance because somebody wanted to, to, to seal a deal at the end of the day. That's not right. I find no. that a bit expensive. Yeah, it shouldn't be a death sentence. As you said, it should be a right to have access to, um, as you said, energy, but also energy that is tailored to the, the, the needs and wants of their lifestyle, right? Yes, yes. And that comes with education. We have Absolutely. to do education. I couldn't agree more. Capacity building. Yes. And it takes time, see, like, right? Even for house, it takes time. It takes time, obviously. Uh, you see, like for, for households, um, uh, initially it was like, uh, you pick uh, a Pico solar equipment that's just a home lighting kit. It has three bulbs. You, can, you have a radio or a TV. But then we are coming to a wave as young people here in Kenya where we want to educate the community that, hey, you can even have like a small auditing for your, for your household to know what kind of system works best for you and it will serve you for X number of years. Then okay. buying an equipment and only get is lighting. Okay. Then after, if you try to plug in any equipment because you're not educated, uh, the battery life dies or 
something happens. Right. It should be that option. And it comes with training and capacity building, just empowering them to know their choices. Perfect. And uh, honestly, it's been one of the best conversations I've had on the platform now. I couldn't thank you enough. And uh, honestly, best of luck with everything. And I'm sure we'll, we'll have you on the platform in the future again. Thank you so much, Eric. This was amazing. And thank you for having me.